We're going to read from God's Word now, and we're going to read from Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 17 this afternoon. It's on page 1134 of the Church Bibles. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 17. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires, But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption, of to, your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Well, very good afternoon to you. It's great to see you here. My name is Jeremy. I hope you're starting to settle in if it's your first time with us, and a huge welcome to you. Please do keep that open, page 1134. That'll be a huge help to me. And uh, before we look at that part of the Bible, which I happen to know is Kirsten's favorite part of the Bible. Thank you, Kirsten, for reading that to us. Before we look at that together, um, then I'm going to pray. And if you'd like to, then please join me. Let's pray. Father God, we long to be free, but we don't always know where to find the freedom that we long for. Please, Father, um, as we look at your word this afternoon, free us from distractions, free us to listen to your word, free us to think clearly. And I pray that this afternoon we would discover or we would rediscover what it means to be truly free. And we ask all these things in your name. Amen. 
Well, almost 200 years ago, 1st of January 1863, thousands of people gathered in Boston to hear whether Abraham Lincoln was going to make an announcement about slavery in Massachusetts. They all gathered in the center of town. This is what one former slave called Frederick Douglass wrote in his autobiography about that night. You'll see the quote up on the screen. The occasion, wherefore, was one of both hope and fear. Whether we should survive or perish depended in large measure upon the coming of this proclamation. We were waiting and listening as for a bolt from the sky which should rend the fetters of four millions of slaves. We were watching, as it were, by the dim light of the stars for the dawn of a new day. We were longing for the answer to the agonizing prayer of centuries. Well, when word came through that evening that Lincoln had passed what became known as the Emancipation Act, then the church filled with people from pulpit to door, Frederick Douglass says, and he led them in singing until the sun came up the next morning. Well, that, of course, was just a, a tiny step in addressing the slave trade, which was something of exceptional evil, just a small step in reversing that terrible episode in history. But as Christians, we can say that we have been made genuinely and completely free. That's the subject that we're thinking about. We've been thinking about it last week, this week, and, and the weeks to come. Normally, we work through a part of the Bible, uh, passage by passage, but just for these three weeks, we're thinking about the subject of Christian freedom, and we'll look at a few parts of the Bible as we do that. We, we, we don't always feel free, do we, because of some of the pressures that come with being a, being a Christian, if that's what you are this afternoon. We don't always feel free, but we are actually the most free people in the world. That has to be true, according to what the Bible tells us, and we're spending three weeks thinking about that in this series, Free Indeed. That's our series, enjoying the freedom which is ours in Christ Jesus. We're not planning on singing all night until the sun comes up tomorrow morning, but if you want to, then we could give it a shot. Free indeed, free indeed. And last, last week we had a look at the Bible and we learned that we're free from the fear of death, that, that the world out there is, is dominated by this visceral fear of death, that we're all dying, and that the grave in some sense mocks all of our achievements. But Christians know that Jesus has smashed his way out of the grave and he says to us, there is a better life to come. I've proved it by rising as a human being and, and reigning with the Father in heaven. And so we cannot not be raised with him. That's what we saw in 1 Corinthians 15. And that, and that leaves us, we saw last week, with this freedom to give up our earthly lives, knowing that they're just our spare life, and that we will spend our future with Jesus. Have you, um, have you felt the freedom of that this week? I wonder, have you felt any freedom? freedom from the fear of death. But, but there's another way we're going to see this week in which we're free. Mandish has already, already introduced it to us from the book of Romans. We are free from condemnation. Nobody can condemn us. We're free from condemnation. That is what Kirsten has just read out to us from Romans 8. Have that open uh, if, if you can. Page 1134, Romans 8, in the right-hand column. Chapter 8, verse 1. 
This is what Paul writes to the church in Rome. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And, and, and that's the first of our two points this afternoon. Free from condemnation. Free from condemnation. It's what Frederick Douglass would have called the dawn of a new day. Free from condemnation. Well, maybe you're thinking, um, but I'm not a slave. I mean, he might have been, um, but I'm not a slave. In, in what sense do I need to be set free? I feel perfectly free, thank you very much. But Paul is, is summing up what he's going to go on and say in verse 2, which is the law of sin and death. That, that's what traps us, you can see from verse 2. That's what we need to be set free from. Just like, just like there's a, a law of gravity, yeah, if I let go of this book, it's going to fall. Just like there's a, a law of gravity, there's a law of sin and death. That's what the Bible tells us, which says, says that you and I carry on sinning and we deserve to die. Now, to understand that, we're going to have to go back a little bit into chapter 7. You'll notice that Paul starts with a therefore. He's picking up on what he's already said. So have a look across the page to Romans chapter 7, verse 14. Romans um, 7, 14. I am sold, this is the Apostle Paul, I'm sold as a slave to sin. He says he is in slavery in, in that sense. And that's the frustration of being the people that we are. And, and all of us long to be better than we are. I think that's true, isn't it? You know, I, I, I long to be a better dad. Um, I long to be a better husband. I long to be a better pastor here at Trinity. I long for those things. Um, but there are patterns of behavior that stop me from being what I want to be in, in those roles. The patterns of behavior, I wish I could stop. I really do. And I guess it's the same for you. Verse 21, have a look at that. It sums up my situation. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. There's this pattern of behavior that I wish I could stop. I really do. And so I, I know that it's good to be kind. I know that it's good to be supportive and to serve others. I want to be that person. And in other words, we know in our inner being, verse 22, that God's law is good. We can see that. It makes sense. But then the question is, why don't we do those things? Why don't we go on being kind and supportive and, and serving others all the time? Why don't we look after the people that we love? It's a good question, isn't it? And the problem is that we open our mouths. Well, in, in, in my case, I open my mouth and different things come out. You know, unkind, unsupportive and proud things. And how many times have I said never again? You know, I'll learn from this. I'm not going to make that mistake again. And, and how many times have I just wished I could wind back the clock and, and just go for take two? You know, say, say what I meant to say. But we keep on doing it. We just can't stop. And each time we sin, the Bible says it moves us further away from God and further towards the death we deserve. You see? 
So we are enslaved in, in that sense. We're not able to do the things that we want to do. Um, it's a bit like this. I don't know whether this will work. Um, so we want to be free. We want to be free people. But our sin enslaves us. Okay. So we're not free to do the things that we want to do. I could write on this sin. It traps us, okay? It traps us, so we're not able to do the things we want to do. In that sense, we're a, we're a slave. It enslaves us. Jesus says something similar in John's Gospel. We said that last week. Um, the words of Jesus Christ, he says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. It restricts us. We can't stop, and we deserve to be condemned. But this is, this is God's message. Can you see why this comes to such a bombshell at the beginning of Romans chapter 8? There is no condemnation, says God, for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation, no guilty sentence, and no punishment to follow that sentence. These are extraordinary words. I mean, we, we all know what it's like to be condemned by other people, don't we? we? We know what that feels like. Maybe you've experienced that all of your life. You know, the parents who always pointed out your faults or a boss who always criticizes your work. It's never good enough. Uh, or a marriage partner who we always seem to disappoint. And, and we know what it's like to condemn ourselves. I take it. But here is the God of the universe, the only entirely morally pure entity in the world. And he says, I do not condemn you. I set you free. Can you see that? God says, I'm going to set you free. Verse 2 of chapter 8. You're set free because through Christ Jesus, the law, that is the, the power of the Spirit who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. The most remarkable thing has happened. And it's through Jesus. Can you see that? It says it three times, just in case we didn't spot it the first time. Verse 1, in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, through Jesus Christ. Verse 3, God's own Son. And, and, and this is what happens. Here we are, trapped in our own sin, we're, we're slaves to sin. And, and the Old Testament law just points that out over and over again. But Jesus comes alongside us. It says, um, verse 3, in the likeness of sinful flesh. In other words, he's, he's fully human, but he's not trapped by sin like we are. Okay, can you see how carefully Paul puts that? He doesn't just say, in the likeness of flesh. In other words, he's sort of like a human being. Um, he doesn't just say um, that he was in sinful flesh, that he's trapped in his sin. He's in the likeness of sin, sinful flesh. He's fully human, but not trapped by sin like we are. He, he has flesh and blood, but he's not caught up in this awful cycle of sin. And so his friends who knew him said clearly there was, there was none of the unkindness, none of the pride. They lived with him for years. They said there was none of the unkindness, none of the pride. He had all of the humility and servant-heartedness. 
And he takes that sin onto himself. He takes that sin away from us onto himself. And as Jesus dies on the cross, he's dying as a sin offering. That's what it says. In in other words, the sin is condemned. God condemns sin in the flesh, verse 3, in Jesus' flesh. The sin is condemned on Jesus, and we have no condemnation left to face. Everything the law demanded has been done in Jesus, and we, verse 4, are free to live by the Spirit. We're free from condemnation, you see. Free from condemnation. God, God won't condemn sins twice. He's, he's condemned them on Jesus, and so he won't condemn them on us. It's the most extraordinary gift, if only we're prepared to accept it. And the, power to, the power and the penalty of sin have gone. Sin no longer has power over us. We, we no longer face that, that future judgment And one day the presence of sin as well, the sin that we struggle with time and time again in our lives will be gone as well. There's no condemnation for all those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? For those who are united with him in faith, we're the most free people in the world. And and, and that means when we gather as a church, we need to be very careful. Um, let me explain to you why. You know what people expect on a Sunday afternoon? Um, they expect the preacher to lay down the law. That, that's, what, that's what they think happens at church. And uh, they think that um, Madush and I stand up here at the front and we tell people like you to clean up your act. Uh, that's, that's what they think happens. And then um, uh, we, we, we tell you what to do and then you go home and then... All kinds of disasters happen. You, um, you lose your temper on a, on a Saturday night. And then, and then you come to church on a Sunday to be told you shouldn't have done that. And it makes you feel even worse. And, and what makes you come back time and time again is just this sense of guilt. Um, a friend of mine calls that another brick in the backpack preaching. Uh, you, can, you can sort of see what he means. Another brick in the backpack. That's what, you know, that's what the preacher's doing. Because they're already things that we carry around with us. Goodness knows. And then each time we go to church, the preacher just gives us more things to carry and we leave feeling more weighed down and, and we can't do it. Laying down the law, says Romans, is, is powerless. Disapproval doesn't work. That's not the way that people are transformed people are transformed by grace we, we cannot set ourselves free by trying harder we're trapped remember we're trapped so the end of verse three yeah I, I, we might hear about condemnation at church but we hear about the condemnation that fell on jesus that the condemnation that should have been ours but which jesus took off our back yeah When Jesus comes, he was what Frederick Douglass would have called the answer to the agonizing prayers of centuries. And we might well want to come and fill the church from the pulpit to the door and sing till dawn. That would be a night to remember, wouldn't it? We're free from condemnation. Jesus has taken it from us and paid in full in the likeness 
of sinful man. We are free from condemnation. Now, there are so many implications of that, um, about our identity, about our thinking, and about our behavior. And, and if you get the chance um, tonight, why not read through the rest of Romans and see some of those? I just want to bring out one implication, and Madush has already hinted what it's going to be. And that's one, actually, that, that Paul brings out very briefly in Romans chapter 8, and then we're going to see it also expressed in 1 Corinthians as well. Have a look just um, over the opposite page, 1135, and have a look at verse 31. Romans eight thirty-one. What then shall we say in response to these things, says Paul, if God is for us, who can be against us? Can you see the freedom that comes from that? And, and then you see how he spells it out again in Romans 8.34, just a few verses later. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. It turns out that if God won't condemn you, people can't condemn you either. Do you see that? And that's our only other point this afternoon. We're free from the court of public opinion. Yeah? If God can't condemn you, no one can condemn you. And you can see that worked out in the, in the life of Paul in 1 Corinthians. Why not turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, on page 1146. 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 to 5. Amazing verses about a life lived free from condemnation. What does that look like, Paul? Well, it looks like being a servant, but being free from judgment. Let me read out 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 to 5. This then, says Paul, writing to the Corinthian church, is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. That's the mystery of the gospel. He's explained that, this upside down, uh, wonderful news about Jesus, whereby Jesus is made the very least and pays for all of our sins. Verse 2, now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Verse 3, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. That, that word judge has the same root word as, as condemn. You see that? He doesn't even judge himself. Verse 4, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Any condemnation? Praise for those who are trusting him. Um, this is what's happening in Corinth. You might know some of the background. Perhaps you remember from the autumn. If the Corinthian church had a slogan, it would be something like this, probably the best church in the world. That would be their slogan in Corinth. They had all, all, all of their service sheets. And, and they're very pleased with their message, chapter 1, and they're very pleased with their spirituality, chapter 2, and they're very pleased with their leaders, chapter 3. It's not very surprising to know that a church like that is, is somewhat unstable, and that's one of the situations that Paul's writing into. But they were impressed with how impressive they were. 
Um, and, and what do they make of the Apostle Paul? Well, he gets his end-of-term report in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This is what they say about Paul. His letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. We look forward to seeing him again after the summer holidays. That's the, that's the end of term report. His letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Is Paul condemned by that? By their assessment of him? No. No, he's free from the court of public opinion. Can you see how it works in, in, at the beginning of chapter 4? Um, a check of your conscience. Is, is, is your conscience clear? Yes, it is. Uh, step two, a check of uh, uh, what day it is. Is it the last day? No, not yet. Step three, a check of who I'm trusting. Is, is my faith in God? Yes, praise God it is. However tentatively, I'm, I'm trusting God. Conclusion, no condemnation. It doesn't matter if I'm judged by you or anyone. I'm completely free. It doesn't matter if I'm judged by me. Verse 3. That, that can be the hardest. We can be our, our own harshest critics sometimes, can't we? We can condemn ourselves. Self-condemnation. Paul says, it is the Lord who judges me, and, and I keep trusting him, and so I can be sure, verse 5, that I will receive my reward from God. No condemnation. We, we can condemn ourselves so easily. We pronounce sentence and punishment on ourselves. Sometimes when, when we get things wrong, we act as judge and jury. Um, I've, I've made mistakes in the past and I've, I've walked out into the road not caring if I get knocked down because I felt that I deserved it. And we allow other people to condemn us so easily. They make us feel guilty and small and worthless and we, and, and we let them take the role of judge and jury. We let them pronounce the sentence and the punishment against us Paul says be a servant be faithful <laughs> but do that knowing that the condemnation has been placed on Jesus there's no condemnation left to face we await God's commendation <laughs> if God is for us who can be against us there is no one who can legitimately judge us yeah And my point, just as we finish, is, is that that is very liberating. It's very liberating. If God, if even God won't condemn us, then what right have people to condemn us? We're free from the court of public opinion. Can you see how that could set you free? Uh, in a minute, we're just going to have a couple of seconds to, to reflect. Um, and... Uh, before we do that, I'm just going to mention five areas of our lives where this freedom might make an impact. You'll be able to think of many more. Um, how about in our church lives? Perhaps we'd be more willing to admit our mistakes. We don't, we don't often do that, do we, at church? In conversation, we're a bit guarded. We don't want to tell people where we've gone wrong during the week. Um, but Perhaps if we knew there was no condemnation, we'd be free to admit that we're less than perfect. Wouldn't that be a good thing? No condemnation. Nobody can judge us. In our work lives, uh, if, if you're working, perhaps we'd be 
more willing to be known as a Christian. This is a great book about um, evangelism that I came across on my bookshelf. Um, but it's called Have No Fear, Being Sought and Light, Even When It's Costly. It's a really good book about how when we're set free from fear, when, 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 when we realize that people can't condemn us for being a Christian, actually it frees us to talk about our faith in our thought lives. No condemnation, no guilt. We don't need to punish ourselves for when things go wrong. We can't be condemned by anything that's happened in our past. No condemnation. Can't be judged. Um, in our school lives or our college lives, if you're, if, if you're at school or college, you are free from that dreadful curse of peer pressure. It's a horrible thing, isn't it? When people set your value according to how cool you are or how much sport you play or whether you're in the God squad, you can't let anyone judge you for being faithful to God. Um, in our relationship with our parents, if, if your parents are still alive, they, they can't condemn you for perceived failures or, or ways that, that they think you've let them down. They're not your judge. No condemnation. No condemnation from God means no condemnation from anyone. What a way to live. Live free. Well, we've got some questions at the end, but I'm just going to leave those five things up on the screen just for a couple of minutes. Should we just have a couple of minutes to reflect? I'm going to go and sit down just for a minute or two, and then I'll stand up at the end and we'll pray. Let's have a think, shall we? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies who then is the one who condemns? No one. Let's pray, shall we? Father God, we fully accept that we deserve your condemnation, that we were subject to the law of sin and death. And yet you pronounce no condemnation for all those who are joined to Jesus Christ because he paid the penalty he did what we were powerless to do, that Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so our sin was condemned in him. And I pray, Father, that we would live free. I pray that we would know that there is no judgment, no condemnation, that the, the verdict over our lives is not guilty. And so we have no sentence to face. And I pray that would free us up in our witness. I pray that it would free us up in our, in our workplace or in our families. I pray it would free us up in our identity, the way we see ourselves, the way we refuse to condemn ourselves. Because as we are faithful to you, say so the condemnation is removed. Help us rejoice in the freedom that we have in you. And we pray in your name. Amen.